for eternal life. I was also thinking this morning about uh, the Mitch Ellis family and uh, Mitch's at his mother's funeral this weekend, and I just pray again for them that you would strengthen him in this time. I pray the light of the gospel would be shining brightly in that gathering, that family and friends would hear that you are a God who saves, and that the Ellis family and their friends would be able to walk with you through this grief. Thank you that we have a hope like none other. And, and I pray in particular at those times of, of death and mourning that, that it becomes very apparent to those around us that this is a different kind of sadness. This is a, a, a grieving with hope. It, it's a grieving with peace. Um, thank, thank you for all that you do there. I feel like we've sang so many songs this morning that... that talk about that hope in death, and, and I'm sure that's no accident. We just thank you for that this morning. And now as we look at your word, I pray that it would be um, what we know it already is, alive and sharp and ready to do its work. I pray that it would do its work. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, our computer software is like on the fritz today. That wasn't the picture I picked, but it's kind of interesting. Okay. Boy, oh boy. It's my birthday. That's right. That's right. That's the truth. Surprise. All right. No, that's all right. I, I, can, I can live with it, I think. <laughs> all right. Well, I don't know what your experience of church has been in the past, but I remember growing up and I went to a great church in Peoria, Illinois. But I think from an early age, I, got the, I had the mentality that church is like this thing that you show up for on Sunday morning where you sing a few songs, you listen to a guy talk about the Bible, and then if you're lucky, you get to go somewhere really good out to eat after the church is over, you know? Like you, and so you might as well get out of that building as fast as you can so you can get a good spot at the restaurant, you know? Like that's what church is about. You know, you, you do your duty and you get out of there. And, uh, and I think for a lot of years that persisted. And then in high school, some of those things started to shatter and, and I started to see that, oh, we're supposed to be, be being the church during the week. And I remember, I remember getting involved. I remember my friend... Uh, coercing me into joining a student outreach program and, I, and suddenly I blinked and I was downtown Peoria like having to share my faith with like business guys and different people that were mulling about you know in the downtown Peoria area and I'm like what, what did I get myself into you know I'm, I'm way over my head and, and, and I still I think in some ways uh, I, I started to see myself as reaching out but I didn't have the biblical framework for, for why that is why is it that this is what the church should look like, an, an outreach sort of focus. And then I remember in a college class, uh, we talked about John chapter 20, which is what we're doing this morning. And I remember the professor saying, you know, at, he read the verse, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And, and I read John 20, and I'm like, that just 
like everything, I remember that day in class, like an epiphany, you know, like I should have known this forever, and yet on this day I realized this is what the church is. This is who we are, is John chapter 20. And so everything started to like fit in my brain. I remember things just started clicking, and I thought, oh yeah, I remember every day I'd walk out of church, and there was that sign above the doors, you were now entering your Mission field. Some of you have been to churches like that too. Yeah, you're now entering your mission field. And I'm like, oh, that's what it means. I don't get to like click the switch off when I walk out the door. I think this is such an amazing passage that when we talk about the mission of the church, I hope for some of you, this is like the light switch going on. You're like, this is what it's about. Uh, you know. I, now maybe we've talked about this a hundred times already, but I think it's so important to review again just what in the world we're doing here. So would you grab a Bible and go to John chapter 20? I think, you know, sometimes the Great Commission is amazing all the time. And yet sometimes hearing the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, there are words that we've heard a thousand times, go into all the world, make disciples, you know, and, and, and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Sometimes you hear it a lot, and it, and it kind of dulls the edge maybe a little bit. And I don't want to ever get away from the Great Commission, but, but this is John's version of the Great Commission. And it's not that John's making it up, of course. Jesus is the one saying it, but, but John does it, this is John's version of Jesus' commission for us to be the church. So I invite you to look at John 20, verse 19. This is a post-resurrection story. Just so you know, Jesus has died and he's just resurrected, revealed himself to Mary. And now we're in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked in fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And then for kicks, we'll read the next part because it's Thomas and we like, you know, Thomas. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So three times in this passage, in the short time that I've read it here, Jesus has said, peace, peace be with you. And I think that's very appropriate that Jesus said shalom to them because he'd just risen from the dead, and this is the ultimate example of peace. The, the ultimate peace you can have is realizing that even though death is coming, there's a resurrection coming as well. And Jesus had showed that, right? He had died and yet risen from the dead, so he keeps telling them, peace be with you, peace be with you. You ought to understand this is the ultimate example of peace. To know that we get 
a new life, a resurrected life with Christ forever. So shalom. Now what Jesus says next is the mission of the church. Here's what he says, looking back at verse uh, 21. Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So number one, and if you're doing notes in your bulletins, uh, number one is we have a compelling mission. We have a compelling mission. And I was trying to think of what's the right word for describing this mission. I think it's compelling because when you think about what Jesus said, he said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And, and, and those are, that's just a brief little statement, you know. It, it's brief, it's short. The Great Commission's longer and more detailed, right? So, so appropriately, many churches focus on Great Commission, probably more than this one. But this commission is compelling because it makes you think, so how did the Father send Jesus? Because however the Father sent Jesus is how Jesus is sending us. Right? So, so it causes you to reflect and think about all the things Jesus said about His mission and why He was sent. I don't know if you realize this, but I, I used to think, okay, Jesus had one purpose, and the one purpose was to die on a cross. But when you, hear, when you hear Jesus' words about why He was sent, there's a lot of different things He said. I want to go over these in like two or three minutes if we could very briefly. I want to just show you Jesus' mission statement over and over and over again. Uh, first one. Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. That's why he came. Secondly, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Curtis has referenced this this morning already. Jesus came to seek out people who were lost. That's his mission. It's our mission. Because our mission is his mission. That's why he was sent. Next verse. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Two things here. Jesus came to serve people, not to sit back and to be served, but actually to serve. That was his mentality. So if we get a service mentality, if we've got a take care of me mentality, we're missing Jesus' mission. We're not going as he went. And then he says, give my life as a ransom for many. Here's one thing where you probably can't do what he did exactly, but of course there are Christian martyrs all over the place that have been sent and they've died. Even though they can't die for the sins of the world. Next verse. This is Pilate and Jesus. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus said, you're right in saying I was a king. I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. I was born to be king. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus came to speak about the truth, to testify to the truth, to stand up for what was true against all the lies and the falsehoods and the, the wrong beliefs in the world. Next verse. I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So again, when we did the week of prayer, I, I hope you were praying, Lord, let us not do the things we want to do this year. Let us do the things you want us to do this year. Less of my will, more of your will. And, and however mysteriously your will interacts with my thoughts and emotions and desires, you know, let's have it be your way. 
Next verse. I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. Then he called us the light of the world too. We're to shine light into dark places. We're to expose sin and show them there's an answer for this. Call sin what it is because it is darkness. And then say, this is the light. Next verse. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that may have life and have it to the full. We're to be examples of the full life. I mean, hopefully people would look around and they could see that, that you could have wealth, you could have honor and popularity and all sorts of, of worldly things that people go after, or you could have Christ and have a full life. Hopefully you're exhibiting that to other people. Next verse. Jesus said, For judgment I've come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Jesus came to divide people up. Some see correctly who Jesus is. Others don't see at all. So, so he came to show who sees correctly. Next verse. Jesus said, Let us go somewhere else to nearby villages so I can preach there. That's why I have come. Jesus came to proclaim the gospel, to preach it, to share it. That's what we're here to do too, to preach it, to share it with other people. Next verse. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Here's your classic answer. Why did Jesus come into the world? He came for the hour of the cross. He came to die on the cross. That was his mission. Next verse. Don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. We understand that this means Jesus came to show us what a righteous life looks like. What does it mean to follow God? What does that look like? Well, it looks a lot like what Jesus did. That's what righteousness looks like. That's what we're supposed to be living out. He's, he's fulfilling it. He's showing us what the purpose of the law is. Next verse. I think this is the last one. Don't suppose I've come to bring peace on to the earth. I not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, Jesus doesn't mean that we don't get peace from him, because that would go against the whole, he's saying shalom to them, you know, peace be with you. But what he means there is, he's coming to the world to show that if you're going to stand on the side of truth, it may very well set you at odds with your family. And so you better stand on the side of truth. That's why he came. He actually came to bring separation even within family for the sake of the truth of the gospel. So as we read those, here's the question. Is that what we're doing here? I think that's a compelling thing to ask. It's a compelling mission statement because as the Father sent me, I send you. How did the Father send Jesus? Well, those 12 things, and there's probably some more that I didn't find, but those are at least 12 reasons he came here. That's why you're in the Northwoods. So we could ask you, and, and mo many of you tell me all the time, what brought you to the Northwoods, right? You, you came for the beautiful summers on the lake. You came for the winter activities. You were born here and you want to die here. I, I hear all those answers. The theological answer is, I'm here because God sent me here. So as the Father has sent Jesus God, Jesus sent me here. That's why I'm here. So 
Sunday is Sunday, but the rest of my week is I get to do whatever I can to share with people the good news of the gospel, to live for Christ, to do all that I can. That is the mission of the church, as we've just explained it here in those 12 verses. That's what we're here to do. So I hope, whether we get a sign or not on the uh, door, I hope that, well, let me, let me put it like this. We're always going to talk about our missionaries. I hope many of you enjoyed the Ellenwoods, by the way, this month. Uh, we've had a lot of fun with them uh, and a couple different uh, times we've hung out with them. But we'll always have that, that page in the, uh, in the church directory that says, Our Missionaries. But theologically, we ought to take the title, Our Missionaries, and move it to the whole directory. Okay? That's what we ought to do. We ought to put that above the, uh, the membership list, you know? It should be the missionary list. And, and, then, and then what we ought to do is see if you're actually doing that, you know, and have some accountability. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, but, but really, I mean, that's, that's why we're here. That, that, that's why we're here. It ought to be the missionary directory of Three Lakes Church. That's what it ought to be. And so I hope that as you're doing your week, I hope you have those wonderful moments of tension like I do. I hope it's not just because I'm a pastor that I'm sitting down in a restaurant thinking, I should talk to this person, you know. I should invite them. It happened this week. I mean, I don't know if he's here or not. I'll have to see. He should raise his hand if he's here. I don't, I don't see him raising his hand, though. All right, I won't call him out. But, you know, uh, sitting in a restaurant, you're talking, and you're suddenly like, you know, I, I should just be hanging out and, and enjoying myself, but, but I'm also on mission. And I hope that you're on mission all the time. I hope you're on mission all the time. Wouldn't that be funny if our directory said the missions directory? That would be great. How many missionaries are at Three Lakes Church? Oh, you know, a hundred something, you know. <laughs> Whoa, how do you support all them? Actually, they do do the work. Um, okay, number two, number two. Um, I love the next thing Jesus says because on the one hand, you know, if you're standing in that room and you were scared, you know, the door is locked because the Jewish people are angry and, and, and your savior, your, your, your master, your rabbi just got crucified, you know, and so everybody's kind of like nervous and then they see Jesus and now they're joy filled. But your master says, I'm sending you out the way God sent me out. So we have to do everything, Jesus, that you did. We get to do what you did. Now, you just think about that in terms of like, I'm sure if I traveled around with Jesus for three years, I would probably be in awe of what I see him do. I mean, John said in, later in his gospel, he says, if we were to write down everything Jesus did, not all the books in the world wouldn't hold the, all the information, you know? If you saw everything he did, how small would you feel when he said, now you get to do it? Well, five minutes ago I was shaking in my boots, and now you're telling me to go out and do what you were doing. And that's what's going on here. It would be kind of like, it would be kind of like if uh, suddenly you were the fill-in for a, a major professional sports team. You know, like you, you get to fill in. There's no way. How do I do that? I can dribble a basketball. I can't play professional basketball. There's no hope for me. There's not even a chance for me. And I wonder if that's how they felt. And then Jesus says this. Verse 22. 
and with that he breathed on them. So I'm trying to imagine this, you know. But was it blowing? I don't know. But can you hear it? The Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, you that have been in the church know there's a theological problem here. Right? Your brain's running, hopefully, and you're thinking, Pentecost is when they receive the Holy Spirit. Can we bring the verse up? The Pentecost verse in Acts 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up from before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is the ascension of Jesus. His last words. Wait, the Holy Spirit's coming. Wait. And when he comes on you, you'll get power. And so we see Pentecost where there was tongues of fire coming down on the disciples when they waited, and the Holy Spirit came. What is this then? Receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, (laughs) right? What do you do? Uh, I say one of two things makes sense to me. Because Jesus said that, that is when the Holy Spirit was given, fully. But was the Holy Spirit not working before Pentecost? Well, no, of course not. He was working. He worked all through the Old, Old Testament. He worked all the way up to Jesus coming. Either it's a visible representation of Pentecost. Like, this is what's going to happen to you. I'm sending the Spirit. But even though I won't be standing there because I've already gone up to heaven, I'm the one sending the Spirit. And so he's trying to show them what he was going to do. Or option two, which could be equally valid, um, they got filled with the Spirit right there, but not in the permanent baptism of the Spirit that was going to happen at Pentecost. I mean, that was the real deal, permanent indwelling, baptism of the Spirit. That was special. This was like a filling up. We, we always pray for the filling of the Spirit. I pray for it every single Sunday. Fill me with the Spirit. Control me. Help me say the things you want me to say. May, may what I do up here be Spirit-filled. So I pray for that every Sunday. You know, I, I, Hopefully I pray for it throughout the week too when I, when I think about it and, and know that I need it. But he might have just been filling them to be even then bold. Because before they were shaking. I think either one of those answers... Maybe there's a third, I don't know. But either one of those answers I think is very appropriate. We have a powerful companion to get the job done, our mission, that is. So what we have to do is be like Jesus. But we can't do it without the breath of Jesus. We can't do it without the Spirit. There's no way. Being sent is connected to the Spirit's coming. You can't do one without the other. I remember... uh, I remember uh, the first time I ever had to teach the Bible in a, in a classroom setting. went really well. I got a good grade on it, patted myself on the back. And then I remember the first time I had to do it in front of people. That was different. I'm standing in front of a room full of people, and I've got to talk about David and Goliath. And I am just shaking, you know? Like, I'm just shaking. And, and I get up there behind that podium, whatever they had set up, And I don't remember what I said about David and Goliath, but I was freaking out. 
I was so scared. And here's where I tell you the punchline. They were all kids, you know. It was like Awana. It was like Awana. And these little kids, and they're all sitting there. And I'm like big high school, uh, high school, college, 20-year-old guy, you know, up there. And I'm freaked out. That's humbling, you know. I don't know, you know, I think every person, I think every Christian wants to know the fruit of their labors, right? Like, like we all want to see it. Like I shared my faith with them. I want to see some fruit. I preached that sermon. I want to see some fruit. I, I, I did fun club and I talked to that kid about Jesus. I want to see some fruit. And sometimes you don't see fruit for a while, you know. I have no idea what God did with that shaky David and Goliath story, how that whole thing went down. I don't know. But I do know in the moment the Spirit gave me the words to say, as shaky as they were, and He'll do the same thing for you. I hope that each of you this year have a chance to feel wonderfully uncomfortable and realize I'm either going to go for it right now with this person and talk about Jesus, or I'm going to wimp out. And my prayer for you is that you open your mouth and with shaky hands you share the truth. And maybe you say in that moment, Spirit, fill me up, because I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And then you open your mouth and just start talking. I hope every single one of you have that experience this year. Some of you have the gift of evangelism. It just comes out of you. Like you just sweat evangelism, you know. It's just, it's just all over you. And that's wonderful. I love you. And we need more people like you. But for a lot of us, it's just got to bring it out. We've got to bring it out. Um, I don't see how we do that without the Holy Spirit helping us. So I guess maybe a question you could ask yourself even, even now is, how often do I find myself in those situations where I need the Holy Spirit to show up? You know? How often am I in those situations? Because if you'd say, not very much, little if any, I'd say, are you on mission then? Because if you are on mission, you're going to find yourself in those because God's going to lead you to them. He wants you to do it. He'll, he'll, he'll set it up. He'll orchestrate it. You just got to open your mouth. We have a powerful companion. And lastly, let's read the last verse here. Uh, verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, I am sure some denominations, some places can make this sound like the, the authority to forgive sins is somehow in the, the clergy or the church hierarchy and we get, to, we get to give out forgiveness, which I believe ignores the priesthood of believers, that we're all priests. Every one of you is a priest. And so we all have authority to forgive sins because God has given us that authority. Of course, that's assuming that you know the truth about how sins get forgiven. I think what Jesus is saying is we have a message that will either lead to people getting forgiven or not getting forgiven. That's our message. That's the gospel. Uh, we sang it this morning in Christ Alone. That, that whole song is just singing the gospel. I hope you understand that. We're, we're just singing the gospel. He died on the cross for us. He was raised from the dead from us. I think I've said this ten times and I'll say it in eleventh. But it really, 
it really grabs my heart and does something weird to me when I sit in like a baptism class or a membership testimony time or whatever, and the person sitting across from me, I, I say, can, can you share the gospel with me? What's the gospel? How do you know you're right with God? And if, if you don't have that, if you can't say it, I just, that just scares me, you know? Because on the one side there's forgiveness, and on the other there's not forgiveness. Or I'll put it in Jesus' words, uh, the, the verse here, uh, the John 3 verse, if we can get that up. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Here's the sending verse again. He sent that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then the verses we don't quote quite as often, but we ought to. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So it's not that we're going around saying, you're condemned, you're condemned, you're condemned. It's just that we're saying, you don't believe Jesus, you already are condemned. God's wrath is on you already. That's where you're sitting right now. And you can't see his wrath, but one day you'll feel it. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. Instead, you have condemnation. Either the Son is in your life, or wrath is in your life. It's one or the other. Now I say this, Number three, then, we can bring the point back up, that we have an exclusive message. I thought, boy, there's a lot of words I could choose to, to modify the word message. I could say we have a compassionate message. We have a forgiving message. But I think Jesus, the way he says it is, there can be sins that are forgiven and sins that won't be forgiven. That's the message. The message is some will be forgiven and some will not be. And that's an exclusive message. And the reason I say this today is because the culture we live in, you might as well say it now before it gets worse, we live in a truth is relative culture. We live in a culture where uh, liberal Protestantism is saying, that is starting to say Jesus is the best way to the Father but he's not the only way to the Father. That's what we're hearing today. That's what I'm reading in books today. That Jesus is the best way, by far, but not the only way. And Jesus didn't give us the room to say that when he said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No other name. So you can't be the Buddhist that walks through Jesus, the door to heaven. It just doesn't work. And I say that because this is where our kids are going to college. And they're going to college, hopefully on mission. And they're going to get to college and they're going to be sitting down with this atheist over lunch or in the dorm room. And this atheist person is going to say, and we love this person, by the way, that's talking, but that person's going to say, are you really telling me that if I don't accept your Jesus, I'm going to hell? Are you really telling me your God would send me to hell for that? And I hope on that day that your son or your daughter would look them in the eyes and say, yes, but Jesus wants to save you from that. That's why he died on the cross. Otherwise, there is no hope. 
And I hope they can sit across from the Muslim person and say, either Allah is God or Yahweh is God. But they can't both be God. But the culture we live in is saying, you can believe whatever you want. Whatever you want. And I don't want my beliefs to infringe on you. In fact, I'm a little bit embarrassed that I would tell you that you're wrong. That just sounds like a... It just, just sounds like, like, like I'm being condemning and demanding and authoritarian. and It just sounds bad that I would tell you that your beliefs are wrong. Even though you were raised to believe this, they're just wrong. But some will be forgiven and some will not. Will you say it with conviction and courage? Fun Club, Wednesday, I'm teaching. And... Uh, Scott remembers this. I bet that you're thinking about this young girl who says, when we die, we get reincarnated. We come back as like an eagle or something like that. And in that moment, there's that postmodern thing in me that wants to kick in and say, I, I can respect that. And we do respect others, by the way. If, if you come angry at somebody, just be quiet. Stop. <laughs> Go pray and weep for that person for a while and then talk. If you come angry, just shut the mouth. But if you come with broken heart to say, no, that's not the truth. The truth is, you won't be reincarnated. You'll stand before God. And you'll have to answer to him on what you did about Jesus. Did you believe him or not? So I want to encourage you, church. Would you have conviction and courage to tell people there's only one way? Would you tell your kids this? you high school students that are going off into college soon, would you have your convictions and would you let them stand strongly enough that you could look someone in the eye and say, I care so much about you that I'm telling you this. And if you reject Jesus and you want to be an atheist, okay, I'll still be your friend because I care about you. I don't care about a mark that says I got one saved. I care about you, period. Your soul, your body, you're my friend. That's our message. It's an exclusive message where not everyone makes it. And I know it might be bad etiquette to sit across from someone and say, Jesus is the only way. But that's what we have to say. Because it's the truth. Okay. I want to close the last couple minutes here with our um, mission statement. What are we doing here? And then a few uh, things we've got going on this year that I want to tell you about to kind of close it out like this. Our mission on the front of our bulletin, we can get that up, the next slide, connecting people to God through Jesus Christ. The program we do that, as far as like church programming, how do we program evangelism? My intention is if you bring a friend here, I'm going to tell them the gospel every single week. Every week we're going to say, Jesus will save you from your sins. Will you accept that forgiveness? I will try to say that every time this church meets. Personally, though, we hope that you do friendship evangelism. Love people well. Not with an agenda, but just because you care about them. Care about them body, soul, and spirit, and bring up Jesus. Again, not with the big agenda. And if they say, no, I don't want Jesus, then oh, no, I don't want to be your friend. Wrong. Wrong answer. That's the wrong answer. Do you care about the person or not? Secondly, our mission is 
growing to be like Christ. The program we have for that is our community groups. You heard about one today on the subject of evangelism. That's a timely word, right? Consider that. If you don't have a community group or you don't have one on the right day, talk to me and we'll form one. Let's do that. I'd love to help form community groups uh, where people can get together, study, learn to be like Christ. Personally, I hope that you have your own personal quiet time where you spend time in the Word of God and prayer. And whether you open your Bible and read it or whether you get devotions sent to you through email or whether you take a daily bread in the back of the church, I hope that you open that up and you read and you consider what God is saying to you. And you grow to be like Christ. That's our mission. Lastly, we exist to serve other people. Our program for that is ministry teams and community groups. Ministry teams are here. They want to do ministry both in the church and outside the church. Uh, I won't go into all of them today, but we have a lot of cool things going on. Uh, we have community groups as well that we hope, and I want, I want to reemphasize this. If you're in a community group, would you make serving a priority? Would, would you say, we're going to take one week out of the month and go serve this nursing home, go serve Northwood Shared Dinner? We'll, we'll find a place to serve. We'll get together and do it as part of your community group experience. And then personally, I know a lot of you are already doing this. I hope that you're involved in this community, doing acts of kindness to other people. I see it all the time. I know it's happening. It's very cool to hear. I hope you keep doing it. Now, uh, what, at the end of all this, what are some different things that are going on in 2015 that I'd like to make you aware of? Uh, Number one, then, for that, upcoming things to fulfill this mission. First one. Uh, we are talking about adding a definition of marriage bylaw uh, addition. Okay, so at our next congregational meeting in February, and even before that meeting, we're, we're going to send out a sample of what that might look like. I think in this culture we live in, we ought to be saying, "What is marriage?" and this is what the definition is, and we're standing by this as a church. Um, th- if not now, when are we going to do that? This is the time to do that, I believe. Um, so. Tomorrow night, the board will work on crafting a definition of marriage. You can pray for us for that. That's tomorrow night. And then we want to um, release that statement next Sunday. And then in February, we'll meet as a congregation and discuss it. No votes that day, just discussion. Just see where we're at as a church. Uh, I, I think I know where we're at, and I pray I know where we're at, but we'll discuss it as a church. And then we'll vote at a future date. I think that's going to be important. Uh, Next thing coming up. Uh, Honey Rock is doing a gap year program called Vanguard. And now, you know Honey Rock Camp. We love Honey Rockers and what they're doing. And this is a big deal. Uh, They're going to have a one-year program for students that are graduating from high school but not quite ready for college. I don't know how many might sign up for that program, but I do know those students will need a church to attend. And so uh, different pastors from different churches are getting together and talking with Honey Rock saying, how can we help in this area? What can we do to be positioned to help this Gap Year program be successful? Because if you, I, I love their heart at Honey Rock. If you get a bunch of kids out there, if you get a bunch of graduates out there and they're just doing Honey Rock 24-7, they've missed the church. And, and they need the church. This is what we're here for. So... That might mean uh, doing relationships with them, like maybe 
once a month you have a student you take and let them do their, do their laundry, you know, and have lunch with them, talk with them, invest in them. It might mean ministry leaders thinking, how could I take on uh, a graduate in my ministry to help give them some experience? We're still talking about what that looks like, but uh, come September, August, September, they're going to be launching this, and I think we ought to be ready to help as we can because we may have those students amongst us. How are we going to love them? How are we going to support them? Uh, next. Mohia um, is going to love this one because he told me about this. Um, last year I was talking to Mohia, Kerry, and Jahi about uh, what would be a really good beginner's level uh, discipleship program. And he said, well, in Kenya we do Rooted. And so he gave me the book and I read it. I looked at it. I love what I saw. And uh, unfortunately you can't buy the books on like Amazon or CBD or whatever. I couldn't find it. So we talked to a church that does this program out in California. There's like thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people, I think, that have gone through this rooted experience. It's basically an entry-level discipleship program. It's a 10-week small group. Each day of the week, there's like devotions you do, things you read about the basics of the faith. And then you get together and talk about it once a week. It's a 10-week experience. I say experience because there's three, uh, within the 10 weeks, there's three special, I would say, uh, special times. One is a prayer experience you do with your group where you fast and pray. You know, One is a service opportunity where you go out together and serve. Pretty cool program. I've looked over the material. I really like it. And to me, I think every church should have like a, what does Discipleship 101 look like at your church? And if you can't answer that, there's a problem. So I would like to test this out this spring and and get a group together and go through it and see what we think. You know, is this good? How can we make it better? They do it in California. How do we tweak it for the Northwoods? Uh, So if that just grabs your heart and you say, boy, I've been a believer for a lot of years, but I'd like to be in on that and and seeing what this might do, uh, talk to me about that. I think that'd be cool. So... Uh, next, uh, I think this is lastly, um, one thing the board would like, as we, we talked about this, is uh, doing attendance on Sunday is, is a nice way to count things, but it's not that nice. <laughs> you know, how many people are in the pew, that's one way. But um, doing a congregational health survey kind of puts a, a finger on the pulse of what's going on here, how the church is doing, what should we be focusing on for the future, so in coming weeks, you'll see a survey being handed out. I hope you fill that out. It's kind of like, how are you doing spiritually? How do you think our church is doing? You know, c- kind of where are we at? And then the board wants to get that feedback and take a look and see what, what else should we be emphasizing this year and in the coming years. So uh, there's other things on my mind. Those are the things that I think are coming up most quickly this year. I hope that you pray for these things. I hope that... Um, you are excited about what God will do in church this year. And I hope more than anything that you realize that you are sent by Jesus. You are commissioned, and you are all missionaries of the Northwoods. Would you stand now and we will pray.